Take two. <laughs> I got to press record. Um, Hungry Ghosts, final episode of series one. We are going to have a bit of a break because um, we're very tired and brave boys. Churning out content. Churning out this absolute garbage for the last <laughs> ten hours of, of uh, episodes for you. So we're going to go away, um, do. We've got some interviews lined up. Yeah. Um, maybe some recording on location um, for the next batch of episodes. Um, but for now, we're going to finish with a look into the future at the foods of the future. Indeed. Or the potential foods of the future, or the foods which in the past have been prophesied to be foods of the people, future. Yes, think are going to be a part of the future. And now we're in the future. For some of those people, actually, they were dead wrong. It's just the same some stuff. Of them, <laughs> and some of them actually were bang right. Some well. of them were bang right, yeah. Um, so, yeah, obviously, it's a hot topic at the moment. Um and probably will be for the rest of time slash until humanity burns up in a <laughs> giant fireball of its own creation. Because um, the food uh, industry in its various forms obviously massively uh, impactful on the environment and needs to change, basically. Yes. Um, in lots of different ways. So it kind of depends what um, uh, estimate you read. Some studies tend to say somewhere between... 30 to 90% less meat consum- consumption than we eat now. We're going to have to cut down. Yeah, there. significant um, Yeah, meat consumption. Even gr- grains with the booming population will need more yeah. different types of grains as the environment um, warms up. It's going to be harder and harder to find, farm cereals, uh, rice, and so we're going to have to yeah. diversify in that respect as well. I think it's basically probably impossible to actually feed... 8 billion plus people on yes. our planet, sadly. But um, anyway, I've crossed that bridge when it comes to it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's like some of the big ones, obviously red meat. Uh, but like you say, it extends to all areas, really, mm. of food. Um, also, as is often the case, um, politics is standing the way in the way of progress. <laughs> um, so there's, uh, in Italy... Um, the government, the right-wing government, wants to ban laboratory-produced meat, highlighting, I think, health secondarily, but primarily <laughs> Italian food heritage. Well, yeah, I mean, the Italians are pretty strict on that, and yeah. you've got to respect it, as we learned in our Italian episode. Uh, you do have to respect it, but there's certain things that, you know, maybe a, a cheap burger could be replaced, but perhaps not a delicious uh, parma ham. Yeah, good point. Very good point. Um, there's also interestingly, uh, so I mean, we'll get on to there's all kinds of conspiracy theories, um, and we love a conspiracy theory Absolutely. in this podcast. Um, but there's quite a lot of conspiracy theories coming from the vegan community. Oh. So basically, vegan products have become so good at imitating meat. Mm. that people simply can't believe that it's not meat. (laughs) (laughs) Even vegans or non-vegans. So vegans themselves. Vegans themselves can't believe it's not butter. So there's this, uh, I'm reading this Guardian article, The Rise of Vegan Conspiracy Theories by Amelia Tate. She quotes a 19-year-old vegan at KFC who bites into uh, the imposter burger and says, um, she says, I always get paranoid when fake meat tastes so much like 
the real thing, that one day it's all going to come out in the news. We've been tricked into eating real meat this whole time. <laughs> um, in February, I commented, posted a picture. Um, it's on a vegan Facebook group um, of the Greg's vegan sausage roll. The yeah. apogee of mm. vegan food, <laughs> um, famously. Seeking reassurance that it wasn't real meat. Had to stop eating, they wrote. Please tell me it's safe. But even the Greg's real sausage roll doesn't even taste like meat. <laughs> and I say that as a fan. <laughs> like, yeah. well, maybe, oh, that's part of the appeal. That's part of the appeal. Um, yeah, may, well, I guess maybe it's easier to replicate the taste of mystery meat. Yeah. Than it is to, yeah. Obviously, America is the big one when it comes to... Conspiracies. Conspiracies in general. Not being told... People don't like being told what they no. can't do, let alone eat. Yeah. Um... So there is a uh, a big uproar among uh, the right wing in America of course. in recent years. Yeah, snowflakes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, when Joe Biden, in 2021, Joe Biden released a climate plan, which um, said, among other things, that this is, uh, you know, the, the, it highlighted various things that... Um, are damaging the environment, mm-hmm. etc. Obviously, food production is one of them. Yep. But there was a uh, headline, surprise, surprise, in the Daily Mail, which suggested that it said something which it just didn't say at all, <laughs> which was that he was going to mandate that Americans had to eat 90% less red meat. <laughs> God. <laughs> um, which, in this, the headline reads, how Biden's climate plan could limit you to eat just one burger a month. Oh, my God. <laughs> Um, and then, among other things, cost money taxes, blah, blah, blah. Spe- force you to spend 55k on an electric car <laughs> and crush American jobs. And the um, so, as a result of this article, um, there was just absolute outcry among the Fox News. Of, of course, world. because people just don't bother to check the original documents. Yeah, You're already saying. Why would you check? <laughs> Fact. Um, I mean, there's just. It seems to be like the. There's an endless series of events in history which are just basically predicated on right-wing people misunderstanding basic information. (laughs) (laughs) Brexit. Brexit. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I mean, the the response to this was hilarious. So there was um, uh, Lauren Boebert, the Mm. right-wing commentator. She's a a congresswoman. Congresswoman, yeah. And lunatic. Uh, right-wing congresswoman and lunatic, Lauren Boba, um, tweeted that Joe should get out of her kitchen. <laughs> and um, then American, mainly men, responded by just posting pictures of them with their various red meats, yeah. your steaks, yeah. your burgers. Your freedom fries, etc. You know, your smokers. All yeah. um, and this was my favourite response to it. Um, another lunatic. I mean, possibly the biggest lunatic in American politics, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) Posted a video um, in which she... This was in response to this uh, same thing. In which she claimed that the government is planning to force Americans to eat fake meat grown by Bill Gates in, I quote, a peach tree dish. Oh, <laughs> that sounds delicious. He's a man of new a technology. <laughs> um, and, yeah, she said, the government wants to provide surveillance on every part... Provide surveillance on every part of your life. 
They want to know what you're eating. They want to know if you're eating a cheeseburger, which is very bad, because Bill Gates wants you to eat his fake meat, which is grown in a peach tree dish. <laughs> so you'll get a zap inside your body, and that's saying, no, no, don't eat a real cheeseburger. You need to eat the fake meat from Bill Gates. Um, this was the latest in a line of gaffes from her, which she, um, uh, in the past, <laughs> referred to Nancy Pelosi... <laughs> Nancy Pelosi's gazpacho police. <laughs> Presumably she meant the Gestapo. Um, <laughs> that's quite funny, if it's meant to be funny. Yeah, that's quite if that funny. was deliberate, that would be funny. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the right wing in America believe that there is a war on meat. Yes. Um, so Fox News broke out in a panic, um, again, in relation to the same thing, um, claiming that the government was going to force a green 4th of July on the American public <laughs> in which they'd have to eat grilled Brussels sprouts. <laughs> and uh, and probably my favourite reaction, well, apart from Marjorie Taylor Greene, mm. uh, was the ex-Trump advisor, Larry Kudlow, who complained that Joe Biden wanted Americans to drink, quote, plant-based beer. <laughs> <laughs> beer is already plant-based. <laughs> uh, mis- possibly misunderstanding the... Beer brewing process. <laughs> <laughs> Completely misunderstanding. Um, there's also a very funny video of uh, Ted Cruz. I think this predates the 2021 thing, but um, you can find it on YouTube of him firing a machine gun at a shooting range and then frying bacon on the barrel. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Um, but yeah, on the uh, on the subject of plant-based beer mm. or indeed plant-based drinks in general yes what are we drinking this week so this week um you know obviously the topic being the future of food we're looking at what the future of drink is and in a bit of a uh, turn up for the books in regards to this podcast we are not drinking alcohol um mm. <laughs> uh and don't worry, we will be back with our your regular programming uh, <laughs> next time. But um, so we are drinking a, a, a product called Sentia, which claims to be uh, the first GABA spirit. Now, when I first heard of GABA, I thought of like the happy hardcore style yeah, music yeah. from the nineties. But actually, um, GABA is um, a neurotransmitter. It's short for gamma aminobutyric acid with a mouthful GABA is way easier to say and it blocks impulses between nerve cells uh, and the brain and it does so in a different way to that of alcohol um, and the point almost of this drink is that you will get the benefits of GABA so kind of an enhanced mood maybe a calming relaxing effect um, as it kind of impacts your nervous system and they, they claim that it has a similar effect to having a couple of drinks of alcohol um, but none of the negative effects. So it won't impact your sleep. You won't have a hangover the next morning. Um, so in theory, it sounds like the perfect uh, the perfect drink, really. And, you know, they're saying that if they can make this at scale and, you know, raise awareness, then it could be the future of, of drinks consumption because it will have, you know, the benefits of alcohol and none of the negatives. Yeah, it's um, a big claim. We'll give it a go. We'll try. Yes. It's a deliciously thick 
uh, I'd say burgundy liquid. Yeah. Um, it has the look of, um, I'd say, one of the darker of the innocent smoothies. <laughs> the darker of <laughs> the smoothies, or indeed human blood. Um, right. we, yeah, I mean, it doesn't look that appealing. On the nose, very much you're getting a cleaning product type smell, but. Yeah. I mean, the, I like it. I like it. On the palate, it's delicious, yeah. It's very herby. We tried it before, so we wanted to, rather than just trying it right now from the off, mm. um, uh, we thought we need to try it a bit earlier so we can see if it has any effect. Yeah. So yeah, we ha- we, we cracked, an op- cracked it open in the kitchen, and um, yeah, Sasha, my girlfriend, said it smells like a cleaning product. Yeah. And then she tried it, she said it tastes like Christmas. It does taste like Christmas. It tastes a little bit like cold mulled wine to me. Yeah. And a very clovey There's a spicy note to it. Spiciness. Throat. Mm. Um, I'd say, I don't know. I first tried it, I thought that's really nice. Now I'm liking it. It's all right. It's all right. It's very yeah. botanical. It's very botanical. Are you feeling any sort of high no, in this not stage? Really, are you? No, not really. But we'll keep cracking on. It does also say um, on the back, do not exceed 100 mils within 24 hours. And uh, I mean, we probably drank that already. We've <laughs> <laughs> definitely drunk that already. We've drunk half the bottle already. It's a uh, high price point. As well, it's a high it? price point. I think it's about 28, 30 quid for a 50 CL bottle. Yeah. Um, available on Amazon. Available on Amazon. That, we're drinking the red flavour. Uh, there is also a black flavour. Um, I don't know if that has any impact on the uh, potential effects, but maybe it's probably just a slightly different flavour. Um, mm. But it has an interesting history, uh, Sentia. Um, it was invented by Professor David Nutt. I don't know if you remember him from... Yes. Psychonauts may remember David Nutt as the yes. government's former <laughs> drug advisor. Former drug advisor. Uh, he was sacked for saying that, um, qu- quite rightly saying, that <laughs> ecstasy is less risky than horse riding. Exactly. Significantly. Less Significantly. Risky. So his whole... Uh, he was the, the UK government's drug advisor um, in the late uh, noughties, I guess. So when uh, the, the Brown period, yeah. Gordon Brown... Um, and, you know, we were young teenagers in that era, so we were probably quite attuned to what <laughs> <laughs> men like him were saying about uh, certain things. And his whole point was that um, the, the way that drugs classification is set up is um, is completely arbitrary and doesn't actually take into account the harm that is caused by a drug on the individual or on society. So he was sort of saying... Yes, things like heroin and cocaine are extremely harmful, both to the individual who takes it and to the wider impact on society. But then so are tobacco and alcohol, but we treat those very differently to the way we treat harder things like cocaine and heroin. And he was saying things like cannabis and ecstasy are actually way less harmful for the individual and society than the likes of tobacco and alcohol. But we obviously ban cannabis, ban ecstasy, and we encourage pretty much the consumption of, of alcohol in this country. Certainly, we tax and regulate, but and benefit from the taxes generated by tobacco. Mm-hmm. But we don't do the same with with cannabis and ecstasy. And as, as you said, he likened ec- ecstasy to horse riding and what was known as equacy. Mm. Um, and so that, that riding a horse that's you know it's also a popular sport, also popular among young people. Um, as is ecstasy, he said that riding a horse was considerably more dangerous than than taking ecstasy, and 
he was sadly sacked by Jackie yeah. Smith, the Home Secretary. That comparison at the time. proved unpopular with the political elite. For yes, some <laughs> and in many ways, that was the start of uh, the UK uh, starting to doubt the opinions of experts in yeah. uh, favour of. Heard uh, from experts. <laughs> we've heard enough from experts. It went downhill from two thousand and nine onwards. Anyway, he's gone away, David Nutt. He's created, you know, he's used his knowledge of uh, psychoactive substances, of alcohol, to kind of create an alternative to alcohol that doesn't have any of the uh, social harms that are caused by alcohol, and's made this uh, interesting concoction sentia. Yeah. Um, and so far, so good. You know what? Good on him. Yeah, fair play to him. It, I mean, if it does turn out to be a uh, the future of alcohol, future. I, I read that he's. Um, so Sentia is kind of a bit of a uh, stopgap. Um, on so he's actually developed a different, like I think a different molecule or something, right. which um, rather than just being botanical like this is, um, it's a synthetic thing, which it's called like Ala. You look it up. It's called Alcarel, um, which mimics the effects of alcohol. Um, yeah, new chemical. Uh, but because it's a new chemical, it takes loads of money and loads of years mm. to be uh, tested properly and yeah. regulated and stuff. Um, whereas shit like this, you can just get it on Amazon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so presumably it's fine. But yeah. yeah. Predicting what food's going to be like in the future has been, well, has occupied people, scientists and artists for a long, long time. So there's, uh, there's an essay published in um, 1966 called The Futurists Looking Toward AD 2000. <laughs> uh, and it says, That closer inner space, the ocean, will be radically transformed. We visualise fish herded and raised in offshore pens as cattle are today. True. True. Done. Presumably fish were farmed in the 60s, weren't they? Maybe not on the same Maybe scale. Maybe not on the same scale as kind of industrial um, farming. Huge fields of kelp and other kinds of seaweed will be tended by undersea farmers. Sounds fine, quite realistic. Then goes on to say, frogmen who will live for months at a time in submerged bunkhouses. <laughs> I don't know why they felt that in order to farm kelp, you have to live under the sea for months at a time. Um, the protein-rich undersea's crop will probably be ground up to produce a dull-tasting cereal that could be regenerated chemically to taste like anything from steak to bourbon. Mm. That's not great. Yeah. I mean, that, again, you know, there's all sorts of uh, dried supplements. Yeah. Including, like, things like spirulina, which yeah. is an algae, like seaweed. Yeah. Seaweed itself, obviously. Seaweed itself. Um, but, uh, yeah, science fiction as well has been a very rich theme of um, when it comes to imagined foods. Mad Ma- in Mad Max 2, Mad Max eats dog food. Mm. Could happen. Could happen. <laughs> uh, the Klingons in Star Trek apparently eat live worms. And um, the uh, great thing that's considered so bizarre about them doing this is that they eat it because they like the texture of it, of them wriggling in your mouth. But as we discussed just last week <laughs> on the podcast, that's the thing in, yeah. you know, certainly East Asian cuisine, people eating... Um, Octopus, mm. live octopus, because yeah. for the feeling of it wriggling. Um, in Red Dwarf, uh, there's an episode, the whole episode about food, where obviously they're up in space, have been for ages. 
Um, and Crichton, the robot guy, says, we've no meat, no pulses and hardly any grain. And space weevils have eaten the last of the corn supply. And the uh, Crichton decides to grill the weevils with the joke, at least they're corn fed. Mm, very good. <laughs> um, and then the kind of punchline uh, is that Lister devours them avidly, taking them for crunchy king prawns. Mm. So I guess even in the what the 1990s, the idea to a British writer, the idea of eating um, insects would have been uh, insane, which it isn't. Now. Which isn't. Now. It hasn't been for people across the world. Yeah, I've got a few of uh, other predictions from the past. Yeah. Um, so 1893, they predicted for a hundred years' time we'll be drinking it. We'll be consuming the liquid lunch, which for uh, to my ears is like you go and have a few pints at lunchtime but <laughs> what they were thinking was that they would uh, everyone would drink for lunch um, bottles of liquid from the fertile bosom of mother earth taking the place of ordinary meals and containing containing condensed version of the life force found in corn wheat or fruit juice it sounds a bit like Huel to me I was going to say yeah. it's like Huel it sounds a bit like Huel so that's quite yeah. a good one and there was another one uh, they predicted in 19... 19- 31 for, for 1981 lab made chicken wings got the got the year wrong but I think you know they're certainly getting there um, in and then my favourite is in 1955 they predicted um, that uh, by the end of the century we would have single serve cows so cows the size of dogs would be grazed in an average man's backyard, eating thick grass and producing especially tender steaks. And thanks to the power of radiation, these mini cows would be the perfect size for a single family to eat, bringing bespoke beef literally to one's doorstep. Wow. That's shades of um, Douglas Adams in the restaurant at the end of the universe. Yeah. Where there's a cow, the animals have been bred um, to want to be eaten. Mm, yes. so there's a sentient talking cow who <laughs> diners can go and meet the meat <laughs> and the cow asks them where they'd, what cut they'd like and so, uh, yeah the Huel thing I'm reading an article here about um, when real world foods that have been inspired by science fiction mm. and pop culture and I mentioned Huel and like meal replacement things I just think, don't get me wrong I see the um, convenience value in a huel, but it's just like I think there's a certain type of um, nerd mm. who like <laughs> would have been in the past writing about oh it'd be great in the future because uh, you can just drink a thing instead of eating. Yeah, you don't like, have to get up and leave your desk. That and, sounds awful. Yeah, it's nice <laughs> to eat food. <laughs> it's like the same sort of person who says like like the tech people now who are like oh, it's going to be great because. AI are going to write all the songs and do all the art. So it's like, that sounds awful. But everyone thinks that's bad, apart from you. Yeah. Like the Zuckerberg thinking that people want the multiverse. Like, you'll never have to interact with another human ever again. That's only good for people like you. That sounds terrible. Um, one of the most famous predictions of the future is, of course, Soylent Green, mm. um, which is a get the film year. 1973 film uh, starring Charlton Heston. Uh, don't know if you've seen it, but I would really no. recommend watching it. It's really, really good, really good fun. Um, but it's a kind of cop procedural drama 
um, set in the far-flung future of 2022, which at the time of filming was 50 years in the future. It's now in the past. Um, That's true. But anyway, in this dystopian future, as with many kind of uh, dystopian visions of the future, the super-rich live lives of luxury, um, but there's vast overpopulation and uh, the, the, the people at the, the bottom are uh, eating a thing called Soylent, which is, uh, there's different colours of it, so Soylent Red, Soylent Yellow, um, and Soylent Green. And it's basically a an algae or um, concoction. It's like a big kind of wafer of algae that these people are munching down on. Um, anyway, goes through the story, it's kind of cop procedural, it's like a murder mystery. Um, but it turns out at the end that Soylent Green, which is the new delicious flavour of Soylent that, that everyone is eating and everyone is addicted to in the kind of the slums of New York, um, is made from the recycled bodies of people who've been euthanized. Um, and there's the famous line at the end of the film where Charlton Heston, as he's being attacked, um, he's shouting to the crowd to try and spread the word of what he's learned, going, Soylent Green is people! <laughs> <laughs> that is a great film. Great stuff. That's the uh, the ultimate mystery meat. Indeed, yes. Ground up people. Sweeney Todd vibes. Mm. Um, yeah, this this article, it does mention Soylent Green, and also this slop that they in the Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sort of porridge-like thing described as everything the body needs. Um, it also touches on the dehydrated pizza from Back to the Future. Mm, yes. That's the Future 2, I believe, <laughs> where they add uh, water to a two-inch mini pizza and expands into a 13-inch <laughs> Pizza Hut pizza. Um, and, uh, I mean, that hasn't quite... Those, those peaks haven't quite been scaled yet. No, not quite. But they have... Uh, researchers at MIT... Um, partly inspired by that and partly inspired by um, the uh, expanding bread in the Star Wars film I think it's The Force Awakens yes Ray has is. A, yeah. a sort of dry blue thing she puts water on it it turns into a massive loaf of bread mm. um, and these researchers at MIT developed shape-shifting pasta noodles that quickly change shape when submerged in water to create eloquent patterns. Oh, that sounds very interesting. Um, bit pointless, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, they've also developed the... Um, so this is, in fact, the Institute of Food Research in Norwich. Uh-huh. Oh, very good. <laughs> um, where uh, researchers experimented with with realising um, the three-course meal chewing gum from Charlie and the Chocolate mm. Factory. So in, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, they... What are the taste? Yeah, so Willy Wonka goes for tomato soup, followed by roast beef, followed by blueberry pie. Mm. They've developed a, they developed a, a gum where it responds to different stages of the gum chewing process. So there's one... It can be any flavour, apparently. The f- any three flavors. The first flavor just comes out on contact with saliva, right? And then the main course requires more vigorous chewing, and then you keep vigorously chewing, and the dessert comes the dessert. out. Dessert, incredible. The future is now. The future of flavor is now. <laughs> Obviously, lots of the stuff in science fiction has not come to pass. Indeed, things that will likely change for us in reality. Well. One of the big things is insect protein. Yes. 
Now, at this stage, well, people... Again, we've talked about eating insects before. Mm. Most people, if you've travelled in Asia or something, you've probably at least had the opportunity to eat. Yeah, insects. I think about a third of the world's population eats insects yeah. regularly. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously, it's not really part of Western diets in the main. No. But at this stage, I'm going to invite you to open the drawer in front of you. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Oh, an, an on-air surprise! Got, wow! Oh my God! The first on-air surprise yeah. of the pod. Yeah. I'm I'm looking at um, a packet of hot and spicy sriracha crickets, the six-legged superfood. Yeah. Farmed in the UK by uh, the brand seems to be Bug Vita. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Wow. Which is Latin for bug life. Bug life. There's hundreds of them. I'll give it a shake so you can. That's a lot of crickets. They're kind of smaller than I expected. Yeah. Like, when, I, sh- when I ordered them, I was envisaging like big, huge cricket-sized yeah. things. Maybe they don't um, like the UK weather, the bigger ones. Maybe not. Um, and these ones are very much dried. Yeah, dried to a crisp. Um, I don't know if they're... Are they cooked or just... They are uh, fed a vegetable-based diet. Um, That's good. <laughs> coated in <laughs> <a> delicious <laughs> sriracha sauce. they feeding the insects with... Uh, UK based created sriracha sauce made using aged red jalapenos they're then roasted yes to a crispy spicy perfection they can be enjoyed as a snack or used in cooking and what's more just a quarter of a bag will provide 100% of an adult's recommended uh, daily intake of vitamin B12 wow I mean I would say that a quarter of that bag is quite a lot to eat in one yeah. in a day. It's like it's a forty-eight gram bag, but there's but, a lot of them uh, in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I think we should give them a try. Let's give it a go. Probably <laughs> <laughs> a solid handful. Oh, they're moving. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, that, that's for the listener. There's my hand is absolutely full. Really <laughs> um, but you know, if you need to put them back. <laughs> Give them a try. Let's give them a go. Yeah. I mean, they're small enough that, unless obviously you look at them, mm. there's no sensation of eating an insect. No. And they just taste like, um, I'd relate it to, it's like you're eating Bombay mix or something Yeah, like that. for me I'm getting like a, it's like a spicy cocoa pop. Yeah. There is a dusty element to it. Yeah. But I think that's just, that's just that's it. crisp, it's, baby. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they are... To be fair, actually, we probably have about half the bag there between us, so okay. they're not a quarter of a bag isn't too bad. Per hundred grams, mm. they these have fifty-five grams of protein, which is like that's significantly more than, for example, chicken breast. Yeah. So, well, that's why on the gain train. They think it. <laughs> yeah, if you're looking for gains, get get some insects down you. And that's why they think it'd be such a great food for the future right because it's so protein rich yeah um exactly but much less of an impact on the environment in terms of how much food and water you need to actually grow it in the first place yeah exactly. i think like 97 percent of what it takes to create a cow 97 percent of the energy that goes into beef basically a human never sees because it's water and it's soy crops really? to make that cow bigger yeah and then you just eat the the cow at the end and and something ridiculous as well like something like 80 percent of the farmland mm. is dedicated to feeding livestock yeah so like it's just like you know accelerating returns of unsustainability yeah 
I can't stop eating these. They're delicious. <laughs> they're really nice. They're really spicy and nice. Obviously, the, the, the guys at Belvisa, big, sorry, Belvisa, Bugvisa, um, UK-based crickets, um, are potentially in for a bit of a downfall at the end of 2023 because, yes, again, there are complications around Brexit uh, <laughs> due to uh, uh, leading to the the sort of burgeoning edible insect industry in the UK potentially going under. So the um, post-Brexit, uh, any company um, that was previously registered in the EU will have to re-register to, to sell bugs under the new UK law from the end of 2023. Right. However, according to horizoninsects.co.uk, um, who are sort of a, some sort of trade agency and for pro-bug eating, um, that the cost of doing the UK, the new UK, UK legislation will be north of £100,000 per food item you want to sell. So wow. if you have a range, you're obviously going to rack up mega costs. And they say this is essentially going to force all the small independent producers that have kind of emerged over the last few years out of the market and open it up to essentially large corporations who are the, one, the only ones who, can, who will be able to afford to work within these kind of guidelines. Um, which is a real shame, but uh, obviously, with it being you know, as always with uh, with Brexit, um, you know, there's always going to be a culture war around everything. And our old friend Nigel Farage, uh, <laughs> let me just get his quote up, um, thinks that this is only a good thing, and that the uh, the fact that we uh, the the law has been extended in the UK to the end of 2023 uh, to allow the production and consumption of bugs as food um, is an indication that we have not yet had a proper Brexit <laughs> and that only when Britain is free from the tyranny of people choosing to eat what they want, aka bugs, uh, will we have really left the EU, which is absolute well, nonsense. And it's a shame because these are delicious and I think I wish Bug Vita were. Nigel Farage has a vested interest in people not, eat, not eating insects. <laughs> as well, obviously. Um, yeah, insects. So obviously, the uh, animal protein is a big. Um, well, speaking actually of uh, startups and animal protein, um, there was a story, and this was in 2014. One of the stranger stories to emerge from the world of, um, you know, what would we call it? New meat. (laughs) Uh, A company called Bite Labs in America, which uh, claimed to be collecting tissue samples from celebrities, isolating the muscle stem cells, growing celebrity meat in, quote, proprietary bioreactors, and then turning it into artisanal salami. Soylent salami. Yeah, but, but telling everyone. <laughs> but telling everyone, yeah. This is from the Bite Labs website. We mix celebrity and animal meats grown in-house through a proprietary culturing process into curated salami blends. Our process yields high-quality luxury, pro- luxury protein <laughs> in a sustainable manner that eliminates the environmental and ethical concerns associated with traditional livestock production. Not the human um, element of it. That's well, nonsense. <laughs> and then they, they started the hashtag eat celebrity meat. <laughs> Fucking hell. Uh, seems to have um, 
Vanished Without Trace, leading most people to assume it was a satire. Right. <laughs> Good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, some people probably would have paid to eat Celebrity Salami. Oh, absolutely. The real cutting edge of all this is obviously lab-grown meat, mm. or cultured meat, as they decided to brand it, probably quite sensibly. Um, which actually, again, talking, as we were earlier, of um, science fiction, has a long, like, as an uh, abstract idea, has a long, um, a long history. One of the people to suggest it was, well... We'll call him a friend of the podcast, a controver- a problematic friend of the podcast, Winston Churchill. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wrote in 1931, We shall escape the absurdity of growing a whole chicken to eat the breast or wing by growing those parts separately under a suitable medium. Hmm. He didn't clarify oh. the medium, but I guess <laughs> he wouldn't have known. He wouldn't have known the science behind it. Well, fair play to him. Um, and, yeah, has a, the actual science of it has a long um, history, go back to the 1950s. Um, and obviously they had to discover the various cells and stuff in the first place, let alone the technology to manipulate them. Um, and yeah, 2001, um, NASA began conducting cultured meat experiments with the intent of allowing astronauts to grow meat instead of transporting it. Mm. They supposedly cultivated goldfish and turkey in this way. Why would they choose goldfish? They choose goldfish meat. <laughs> But um, maybe it was easier. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the first so the first cultured beef burger patty was created by Mark Post at Maastricht University in 2013. Um, cost three hundred thousand dollars, and cut and took two years to produce. Um, and now, um, they're selling. I think Singapore remains the only place, or certainly was the first place to sell cultured meat commercially. Um, the world's first, yeah. Yeah, the world's first commercial sale of sell cultured meat occurred December 2020 in a Singapore restaurant, 1880. I mean, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, from... I mean, the future is extremely bright for this because obviously people do, as we've said, people do want to eat meat, but they don't... There's massive... Uh, negative effects on normal meat production but what they're sort of saying for the future is that not only will they be able to grow uh meat in labs that is uh the same as conventional meat let's say animal meat but they'll be able to grow uh within 50 years um meat that is better than Mm. conventional meat so tastier healthier um and obviously better for the, for the planet as well. So that's kind of the, it's, they call it science-driven food, um, and it will be essentially the future of, of how they can manipulate a steak to not only be even more tasty than it is now, but somehow lower your cholesterol um, is mental. It's a no-brainer. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and then obviously also ha- when meat is grown in a lab, it doesn't have... It's, it's grown in sterile conditions, so it doesn't need any of the horrible chemicals you pump into mm-hmm. reared livestock, farmed livestock. Yeah, um, antibiotics, all that and sort no of rubbish. Antibiotics. I mean, antibiotic resistance alone is a potential like apocalypse causer. Yeah, which is uh, already here. It's not yeah. even an abstract thing. Um, so, 
you know, you kind of could argue that it, um, in some ways, it's more natural and it's not natural <laughs> in a lab. But you know what I mean? Yeah. It removes some of the unnatural things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm all for it. So am I. In Tel Aviv, there's a restaurant called The Chicken, mm. um, where they serve chicken, various chicken dishes that are cultivated in the lab. Um, apparently, the average chicken burger takes two to three days to grow. How much do they sell a chicken burger for? Uh, I just need to know how much the costs have gone down. I can tell you. Initial... Can I tell you? I've got the menu here. Mm. No prices. <laughs> so you get you. <laughs> um, well, the chicken sandwiches, supposedly, are currently offered for the reasonable price, as this article describes it, of $23. Mm. I don't know what that is in shekels or indeed pounds, but I guess not bad at all. Quid. Not too bad, is it? Not too bad uh, for a taste of the future. Yeah. Um, in Japan, of course, the future is always close to home. Oh. Um, the future's old news. <laughs> the future's old news in Japan, and they they're not uh, they're doing something with vending machine technology, which has <laughs> been a game changer in, in the world of meats. The Japanese. <laughs> Our real pioneers of vending machine technology. They've got a vending for better machine. better and worse. <laughs> <laughs> for everything for better and worse. Um, but in 2023, they have launched uh, a vending machine from which you can purchase bear meat. Um, wow. Which, I mean, the concept of buying meat from a vending machine, full stop, is pretty mental. But the fact that it is now bear meat. And they also, uh, last year, they in another region of... Uh, of Japan, they opened a vending machine where you could buy whale meat. So they're really, you know, at the cut, the bleeding edge of vending machine the bleeding edge meat of technology. Ordering endangered species, <laughs> ordering from, endangered a species from vending machines. Yeah. We, um, I think um, when we went to Japan, we had chicken from a vending machine. Chicken yeah. and chips, like, I remember. Chicken getting. and chips. Um, I mean, I've got to say, that's on the, that's on the normal end of stuff mm. you can get. From a vending machine in Japan. Perhaps one that maybe uh, feels a little bit closer to home as we approach summertime in the UK um, is Japanese scientists have, uh, well, actually, this was six years ago, but Japanese scientists, 2017, uh, invented an ice cream that doesn't melt. Wow. Now, that is futuristic. That is good. That is really good. Um, however, it was six years ago, and it doesn't seem to have spread around the world right. in the past six years. So maybe there was a fatal flaw uh, with it. But anyway, uh, apparently your taste buds don't notice, and uh, yeah, your ice cream just won't melt uh, even after you know up to an hour, oh, up to the course of three hours at room temperature. Um, well, if anyone can do it, it's the Japanese. Yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. So obviously. Animal protein, insects, etc. Cultured meat is one thing. Um, but plant-based diets are probably the most important yes. thing going forward. Um, and it's weird when you think about it that there's not... Um, I mean, we eat hardly any plants really as humans. So there's scientists think there's up to 300,000 edible plant species on Earth. And we eat about 200 of them. Wow. So less than 0.1%. Um, and the perfect example of the issues that this can cause is the example of the banana. Mm. So, 
the banana that we we all know and love, the Cavendish. Yes. Which accounts for ninety nine percent of the global banana market nowadays. Um, is in fact only well as as recently as the nineteen fifties. It was another type of banana which dominated the scene. Yep. Uh, the Gros Michel. Mm, indeed. Um, I think we spoke about this on a previous episode, about the flavour of the Gros Michel is oh, the, the flavour in uh, banana sweets, they say. Yes, you, we did say yeah. that. Yeah. Um, whereas, yes, then it died out. Yeah. And we got the Cavendish, which tastes nothing like banana sweets. Yeah. Um, in spite of which, so the, the reason the Gros Michel... Um, we didn't actually go extinct, but it got there was a, um, a disease, a fungal disease called Panama disease, mm. um, which killed basically made it unviable as a uh, commercial crop. And so the Cavendish, which at this stage was resistant to Panama disease, um, was developed. And um, it uh, now has Panama disease has evolved to be able to attack <laughs> the, Cavendish. the Cavendish, and because. The Cavendish is, um, is unable to sexually reproduce. So it's, they're all clones, they're all of, clones each other. of yeah. Makes it incredibly susceptible to diseases. Mm. And this is one of the problems in general with the way that plants are farmed. They're often farmed in monocultures, which is they're all planted together um, in, with, without other plants next to them, which means that if one thing comes to destroy it, then they will just get destroyed. Yeah. Um, and so because of this development, the, bar, the, the banana basically is going to have to change again. There's a thing in Ethiopia, one small region of Ethiopia called the Enset, mm. also known as the false banana. Yes. Which they're hoping could be the answer. Um, you don't eat it like a banana, it's you eat the stem and it's ground into like the paste used for porridge. I think it's more of a savoury vibe. Right. But um, it's very resistant to um, more extreme conditions. One of the big problems is um, things aren't, Resistance at higher temperatures, which are obviously coming. Yeah. Already here in lots of cases. But this is apparently. So that could be a thing. We might be eating NSET instead of bananas. Yes. I was reading about that, the NSET. And um, yeah, as you said, the so basically they reckon that just 40 plants can feed a family with all its nutritious needs. Uh, so that's a small garden, basically, of just fill your plants with that and, yeah. and you're set to go. So... In terms of scalability, certainly for the future, it's something they're really looking at to to roll out and and to replace many or potentially replace many of the kind of more traditional crops that yield less nutrition with bigger yeah. square footage. They're also, yeah, because again, like by the nature of um, modern farming, things are chosen and bred and farmed for yield rather than mm. nutritional value. Yeah. So I, I was foraging not too long ago. Um, in Northumberland with a guy who said that on average wild food has about three times as much nutrients as farmed food. Um, obviously foraging is not scalable at all in any no. way. But um, yeah, one of the examples is so grains, um, there's loads more different types of grains than what we generally eat. Different types even just of wheat and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so there's a bit of a movement to revive ancient crops there's a type of wheat called emma. Um, there's a type of wheat, we we call it einkorn wheat, but there's another word for it in Turkey, I think, and they grow it there. Um, and they're much more protein-dense mm. than the average grains that we 
And there's things called uh, pseudo cereals, which sounds pretty cool and spooky, but cool. actually just means quinoa. Um, <laughs> and uh, so other other similar things like quinoa and chia. That those two are obviously two examples of things that are very um, are already kind of super branded as superfoods, even though that's obviously nonsense mm-hmm. a nonsense term. But there are other pseudo cereals out there that provide a similar or higher amount of nutrition than normal cereals that they're yeah. they're looking at bringing in things like the bread nut. Mm-hmm. Um, the coxcomb, um, <laughs> wattle seed, uh, and the humble acorn. Ah. Although I thought acorns are poisonous, but maybe it's a different acorn. Oh, right. Well, it's good enough for squirrels. I yeah, it's true. Good enough for, yeah, pigs as well. And pigs. Yeah. Makes delicious parma ham. Maybe it isn't poisonous. Um, yeah, there's also another. So obviously, GM foods are uh, controversial, mm-hmm. let's say. But. Um, one of the most famous ones is called golden rice, which is a type of rice which has been developed to uh, include beta carotene, which is what creates vitamin A in your yeah. body. It's and carrots. So, exactly, yeah. Um, no other forms of rice uh, have this in it, but because it's uh, obviously rice is a staple in, in lots of parts of the world, including lots of parts of the developing world, um, where apparently vitamin A, vitamin A deficiency is. Uh, a killer which on, on a par with um, or can be comparable to um, malaria HIV AIDS um, and it causes lo- particularly blindness but then also goes on to kill lots of people particularly children right um, so even with this in mind they seem to have this great product to counteract that save millions of lives obviously there are people who are going to try and boycott it of it seems to be human nature so in the Philippines people attacking farms where they're trying to grow golden rice and um, there's a particularly good conspiracy theory that I like, um, apparently in China, believed by 190 million Chinese. That's based on, there was a survey, which a certain percentage of respondents, 13.8% of respondents, responded in this way. So they've extrapolated mm. that to the popula- with the population in China. But um, the question was, this was from the worded by the the Chinese government, I think. Um, And it's based on the idea that uh, GM foods are designed to... um, that they're a bioweapon engineered by the West in order to... specifically the white West, in order to kill people of colour. Right. (laughs) So this question was, there is an opinion that the transgenic technology from the US may be bioterrorism to China in relation to GM foods. If you are a patriot, you should oppose GM food. What do you think about this? And 13.8% of respondents said, agree, patriots should oppose GM food. <laughs> God. And of course, what is food of the future without the chef of the future? Now, uh, yeah, as we, as we evolve, as, as humanity goes further into the 21st century, um, there's game-changing uh, Technology, technological evolutions in the world of food preparation, uh, aka the robot kitchen. We um, want robots, baby. <laughs> we want robots, and we want them now. Um, the, the the kind of the the big the leader in this world uh, seems to be a company called Moly, um, and they bring they claim to bring you the world's first fully robotic kitchen. Um, and I've watched videos of this online, and it's essentially a rail system with two arms that move around a kitchen in a hob getting pans out of 
one area, getting opening the fridge and putting stuff in. I don't know if you have to kind of well, you obviously have to load it up with the ingredients, or you know, if you're rich enough to afford one, they're about a quarter of a million quid. Wow. Probably you pay someone to load it up with yeah. <laughs> with the ingredients. Um, but then, yeah, he the robot he tips the uh, you know the the herbs in, he tips the meat in, he stirs it around, and he, he serves it up. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's it's going to be programmed with up to when it's finished 5,000 individual meals that you can just wow. order at any time. Again, provided that someone has loaded it with the right ingredients. Um, and frankly, I think it looks like a game changer, but probably not really something that any sensible person would invest their money in because all it is doing is, you know, moving ingredients around and cooking them and heating them up. Like, because there's so much prep involved in terms of, actually loading the thing up with yeah. all, all this ingredients it's you think you can robotize cutting up vegetables but that's not very good for yeah it does it, it look everything's pre-cut on the video so i don't yeah. know who's doing that but it's certainly not the robot you don't see him use any knives uh, you just see him stirring basically and, and pouring um Fantastic. so still work to be done but the future you know the future's coming and it's potentially a robot chef it's going to be robot heavy one way or, yeah. one way or another <laughs> in the future um, well, on that optimistic note, we should probably mm. wrap it up, I think. How are you feeling on the old Sentia? I've got a bit of a headache and I'm quite hot. <laughs> I'm feeling all right. My throat's pretty dry. I don't know if that's the bugs or the Sentia. Mm. Um, but, yeah, medium. Yeah. I've got some gas going on, but again, it's <laughs> difficult to know the exact source. Um, yeah, like I said, we're, we're going to um, take a little break now. So, um I hope you've enjoyed the first episodes. Yep. We will be back soon. Um, if you want, we have had literally some people give us positive <laughs> reviews uh, on Apple and Spotify, etc. So if you're one of them, thank you very much. Uh, if not, do us a favour. <laughs> Leave us a review. Um, and we will see you very soon. See you in season two. Bye. Bye.